today on CityCast Denver. Lots of news to start your week, including the Colorado Avalanche stepping into the playoffs with a game against the Nashville Predators on Tuesday. Oh, and it's going to rain, like a lot. So I hope you've got your gardens good and ready, Denver. But today, we're checking in on the State House, where lawmakers have less than two weeks to figure out how exactly they're going to address the recent spike in deaths caused by the synthetic opioid fentanyl. We all know whether you're a harm reductionist, whether you are someone with lived experience, someone who is in recovery, or someone whose family member has interacted with this harmful poison, that we don't, we don't want it. We don't want it on our streets, you know? I invited Representative Leslie Harrod on the show today because everyone may recognize the problem, but no one can agree on a solution. And she and her fellow lawmakers don't have much time left to get it right. Today is Monday, May 2nd, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Hi, Leslie. Hey, good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh oh. I think you can hear my dog too. Yes. I just heard the dog. I put him downstairs, but he doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Representative Leslie Harrod, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks so much for having me. So, we're talking about a fentanyl bill that's moving through legislation right now. Where does the bill stand as we speak? The bill has just made it out of the House uh, and we sent it over to the Senate where they have completed the first public hearing in judiciary. And now they're headed to third reading on um, Monday, which is the final vote before it goes back into reconciliation. So because the Senate has changed the version of the bill from the House's version, we have to decide if the House is going to accept the Senate version or if we're going to go into a reconciliation process called conference committee. What has changed about it? So far, and many changes could still happen on Monday. Um, so far, a lot of the, the main provisions have stayed very similar. Um, they've added things like MAT, which is um, more medically assisted treatment in jails, which I think is hugely important. And I'm glad that they honored their commitment to do that in the Senate because we couldn't, we didn't have time to finish that in the House. But they've left uh, the house changes, which is, you know, one gram of fentanyl or more does constitute that higher level felony, but one gram or less does not. And you have to reasonably know that you had fentanyl in your drugs. So a lot of folks, you know, we're hearing fentanyl is being laced in so many other drugs that people don't actually know they have it. Well, I don't think that they should be felonized for having um, a different drug that is not a felony, you know? And so we added a pretty high um, mens rea, meaning that they have to show that they knew they had it. That's the part that is feels like a very gray area to me. Mm. Like, how do we measure someone's knowledge of their drug makeup? Yeah, so it's, it's actually not a high, it's not... Um, this is something that has been litigated. So this is case law in Colorado and nationally. You have to, you have to reasonably, you reasonably should know that it's in there. Meaning, did you ask someone, is this fentanyl? Did you send a text saying you wanted, you know, um, marijuana laced with fentanyl? Is there some proof that you knew that that laced drug had fentanyl in it? If there is no proof, then they have to charge you with that, 
lower drug possession offense, not the higher uh, fentanyl uh, felony offense. So can you talk about how the House ended settling on this one gram threshold for felonization? You know, that was something that was brought by the speaker. You know, he's the sponsor of the bill. Um, One gram is 10 blue pills. So we're saying that 10 of those is personal use, but more than having more than 10 of those on you at any time could constitute dealing. Um, And so that's where it changes into that more felony level sentence. However, we did a lot of other things too. We said that that whole provision only lasts three years. Ideally, we get fentanyl off the streets um, and that just goes away so that we have a repealer on this bill that we've never seen before on drug bills. We also have a study to talk about, you know, where we see disproportionate treatment, where we're seeing, um, you know, maybe over-policing, where we're seeing folks not accessing treatment. And that's a part of the bill as well. So I think those provisions are really strong. So the bill has some good harm reduction measures in there, but it's also got this felony possession piece. Can you explain your decision to vote in favor of the bill? Um, I, I did not think that the bill as it um, left the House would be one that I would vote yes on in final votes. However, adding MAT, adding additional treatment, um, really does do a lot. And MAT is medically assisted treatment in jails, right? Yep, medically assisted treatment in jails, which is, you know, when you are an addict, right, and when you are addicted, you need medically assisted treatment. Sometimes if you want it, it's it's voluntary, of course, mandatory for the jails, not for the user. But you need that so you don't go through withdrawals, you know, um, so that you can function. Uh, I have a friend right now who went from fentanyl to methadone and is is using medically assisted treatment in the community and is doing quite well, you know, but definitely would not have survived one, probably another encounter with fentanyl, but two, not having that medically assisted treatment. And so uh, she's doing really well and I'm really proud of her. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> always, always happy to hear folks are alive. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. That's what we're trying to do is save lives. Honestly, people who interact with fentanyl, it is because they can't find heroin, or it is because they got it um, unknowingly and they got addicted pretty quickly. And if we were to say zero grams, which was really my bottom line, that was an absolute no. Then we would say that basically every drug, if it had any trace amounts of fentanyl in it. You get that automatic felony offense, even if you didn't know you had it. That's absurd, you know, but that's what people are asking for. And that's what the testimony reflects, especially law enforcement. Um, And I think that's a huge problem. I do believe that once we get through reconciliation, it's my hope that we are in a place where I can continue to to have my name on this bill, because quite frankly, we have to do something about this fentanyl in our communities. We have to do something about these poisonings. And the amount of harm reduction that we've placed in the bill, try as I may, have never been able to get so much treatment in this bill, so much harm reduction, so many fentanyl, um, you know, testing strips and, um, and all of that. And I think that's really, really important. So we can't lose sight of that. And the bill repeals just that section, not all the good stuff. The, the medically assisted treatment, all that other stuff stays. But this section on the felony possession will go away in three years. So this bill will essentially expire after three years in the, in the hope that the fentanyl crisis is is going the other direction and that we're able to maybe reassess. Just the felony provisions, yep. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. I have to ask, because it, it does ultimately include harsher punishments for possession of fentanyl at a certain level, mm-hmm. um, and I know that one of your key concerns is the impacts of incarceration on our communities, and particularly yes. our communities of color. So how would you respond to a, 
uh, the criticism that you're you're ultimately supporting a bill that may further incarcerate folks? Well, at the end of the day, I'm the one that passed the bill in 2019 to say four grams or, or less is simple possession. You know, um, that had never been passed in Colorado before. But honestly, Bree, I think we have to acknowledge the fact that um, I'm in a place of do as least harm as possible and protect the community as much as I can. Because right now, people are running this bill for political gain. They are using this as an attack on Democrats, to be just quite honest with you. If I don't participate in the process um, as an active participant and a, a, a good faith participant, let me tell you, we would be at zero grams. We would have taken away the four grams. Um, and people don't actually care as much about the community as we do, you know? And so it's important for me to acknowledge the political realities of where we are and ensure that we don't come out with a bill on the other side that is going to do harm. I quite frankly think that the way this bill will come out will actually do a lot more good than harm. And so using this, um, I think, political, uh, I can't probably can't say what I want to say, but um, <laughs> this political hell that we're in right now to ensure that we are doing good um, is really important to me. And I think we're going to get there with this. So speaking of political hell, last week, CPR reporter Andy Kinney tweeted this photo of you and Representative Alex Valdez on the floor of the House debating the bill. And Andy quoted you telling Valdez that he should remove his Black Lives Matter pin if he's going to support harsher punishments for fentanyl users. Can you talk about what was happening there? Like, what is the point of contention for you? So this was a private conversation that was overheard by a reporter. So to be clear, it wasn't like it was on the mic or anything. We were at my desk, um, but I have no expectation of privacy. So he did, Eddie Kinney did his job and quite frankly, did it quite well because that's what you want to catch on the floor. But it's the truth, you know, Valdez was standing up and really kind of, I believe, um, regurgitating the war on drugs, you know, um, and the way that he was speaking about drugs and fentanyl, um, I believe is one that I know is one that is not supported by the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it's and, and to wear that pin on that day, I believe, was intentional um, to incite that. And quite frankly, when I asked him about it, his response to me uh, was, I was wondering when you were going to give me shit, you know? And so that, that to me is a problem, you know? Like, don't use a movement and then mock it because you have a pin. Wear that pin on the day that you know you're going to do something that is counter to the movement. And if you don't know that the movement is against mass incarceration, is against the war on drugs, then you shouldn't be wearing that pin in the first place, you know? I just I thank you for doing for explaining because I think sometimes folks don't make those connections that the Black Lives Matter movement is also a movement that has been at the forefront of dealing with incarceration and its impacts on our communities. Absolutely. And and in that particular incident, it's so funny because you know, he wears different pins all the time. It's not like someone I was out in the hallway and just gave it to him and put it on. That was intentional, you know? And I think mocking the movement is uh, of course problematic. So if we're looking forward to this next week, the bill is going into reconciliation and and that's really where the fight over what's what's gonna happen next. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it it is. It is gonna be a I think that will be another big fight. Um we will be done by May 11th, though, uh, and then we will have sent something to the governor's desk or um, or not. Yeah. Do you have a sense of where Polis stands on this? I have heard him say very clearly that he will sign whatever bill comes to his desk. If no bill gets to his desk, uh, I would be um, 
surprised if he didn't call us back into work over the summer to deal with it. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. My last question is unrelated Uh to all this, but I have Uh to ask, Leslie, are you running for mayor of Denver? You know, a lot of folks have asked me, Bree, including you on Twitter. Uh- <laughs> I had, I just had to. I had to ask. I had to get you on the record official. Listen, I got to make it through session. Um, once we're done with session, I will have a lot more intentional conversations about what that could look like. What I will tell you is that I love the city, you know, and I'm seeing where we are at a fork road when it comes to which direction our city can go in. And I think it's really important that we have leadership who has vision and passion to get the job done for Denver. Uh, And so that's the conversations that I'll be having. Representative Leslie Heard, thank you so much. Thank you. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. We can't get Earth Day out of our heads. And the CityCast Denver team was still wondering, are Denverites taking advantage of the city's new program offering rebates for e-bikes? Turns out, yes, we are. We checked in with Grace Rink, the head of Denver's Office of Climate Action, Sustainability, and Resiliency. Grace said that as of last Thursday, more than 2,000 of you have submitted to get your e-bike rebate. Way to go, Denver. Meanwhile, La Alma Lincoln Park was fenced off to the public over the weekend after neighborhood fixture Gary Ariano was shot and killed while trying to break up a fight there. The park's closure comes at a terrible time as the Chicano Murals of Colorado project was planning some kind of big announcement at the rec center. That event has been moved to Mana Cannabis Supply on 8th Avenue, a building that itself was once the site of a Chicano mural, but was painted over by a previous tenant. Peyton has more on this situation in today's CityCast Denver newsletter, which you can read and subscribe to at denver.citycast.fm forward slash newsletter. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? And hey, why not rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Did I say there was a threshold for feminization? Because <laughs> Otter thinks that's what I said. Okay, felonization. Felineization. Felonization. Okay.